but I think we're at the edge of an incredible creative revolution. That's exciting, this democratization of, of creativity, giving everyone the tools that were reserved for the Steven Spielbergs of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's that's interesting. I mean, I think if you look at it from a media cultural point of, point of view, you effectively go from language to the written word to the printing press to the telephone to the internet to now. And I think yeah. now is on par probably with the invention of language. It's magical. It's like you're working yeah. with, a, with a wizard. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> Who are you and why are you here? Are we going to live life in fear or are we going to stand up and make sure we're heard? gonna hide or live life by our word with integrity we can be all that we can see in our mind's eye until we're finally free we can become whatever we choose once we know the choice lies within me and you now's the time to wake up no time for playing small with a painful history and an uncertain future now is the time to Hello, and welcome to the Unapologetically Human podcast with Dan Boyman. Thank you so much for tuning in. On today's episode, I bring you a conversation with world-renowned author and poet Ian S. Thomas, who recently, with the help of Jasmine Wang, who's a technologist and philosopher, wrote a book with what we now know to be called chat gpt so they actually wrote and released this book before the so-called chat interface was public facing and available to the rest of us to use um, so they had access to gpt before it had a chat functionality for the rest of us and they wrote a book called what makes us human and this conversation was a big milestone for me because it was the first time interviewing someone that wasn't a friend or somebody that I knew already that I had met that I'm getting to know better. It was the first conversation with an author of a book that was recently released. And they released this book two days before the release of ChatGPT to the public. And... So I recorded this conversation on December 10th of last year, 2022. And as I, you know, tend to kind of beat myself up and say in my intros here that I don't get these, the turnaround time, I don't get these, you know, put out in uh, the kind of time frame that I would like to. It's taken a bit, a little over four months since I had this conversation to uh, being ready to to release it essentially. And, you know, some of that is a lack of prioritization on my part. And I've uh, talked with my, my contact, Mike, Mike, if you're listening, shout out at uh, the publishing company. Sounds true. Um, on the one hand, I feel like I need to apologize because I feel like my lack of prioritization has been unprofessional, quote unquote, and that I should have got this out way sooner. And maybe I should have. But on the other hand, I work a full-time job. I produce this show as a passion project and a hobby on the side that I would like to get to a place of getting some listener support so I can focus on this more. But I'm still really in the early stages. And as far as this being the first conversation that I've had with somebody who wasn't like a friend of mine, it's like I, I really don't have a structured process or a production schedule or strategy laid out to do this more smoothly in a way that 
that I feel better about and that the person that I'm interviewing and or their publisher feels better about that. There's not so much time in between the interview and the, you know, the launch of the, the book being published and the media sort of tour. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, I might be making a lot of this up in my head. I've talked to him a couple times since the interview. I've said, Hey, sorry, I haven't got it out yet. It's coming. And he's been pretty gracious about it. Like, all right, no worries. Like kind of all good. So it really might not even be a problem at all, but I guess like part of the reason I want to speak to this stuff, you know, unapologetically human, it's all part of the messy process. Right. And in the case of this, um, this interview, I had a, a few episodes recorded already and I wanted to edit and release those in the order that I've recorded them. And so, you know, like things often do, took a lot longer than expected or that I wanted or um, I just didn't prioritize it as well as I would like to going forward. That being said, this is a really interesting conversation. It's a really, really beautifully designed, beautifully laid out book. It has a really nice pacing. It's a little bit more like a, a book of poetry, which Ian is known for, rather than a book that's dense with text page after page after page. It's kind of like question, answer. And so they basically, they asked GPT thousands of questions and what makes us human includes over 200 of the most profound questions that were asked and answered by GPT. And 45 to 50% of those questions actually were generated by GPT itself in the process of answering some of the other questions that were asked. So super, super interesting, super deep. They basically, in searching for the types of answers that they wanted GPT to generate, they sort of prompted it and trained it using some of the most prominent religious and spiritual texts like the Bible, the Quran, the Talmud, the Tao Te Ching, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, some of the most famous authors, artists, spiritual teachers, and historical figures, their, their writings, their artwork. So things like the poetry of Rumi, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, lyrics of Leonard Cohen love songs, and basically anything sacred, interesting, spiritual. Like he said, they even, they even included some like bumper stickers. But yeah, really, really amazing book, amazing conversation. Um, Mike and Sounds True and Ian, if any of you are listening, I just want to say that I, I really am grateful that you guys sent me a copy of the book. I think I'm going to probably buy a copy myself and do a giveaway for the listeners uh, with the release of this episode. And I said to Ian that this book is a gift to humanity. And, you know, with some of the fears of the rapid advances of AI, who knows if, if that's true. Maybe it's a, it's a gift and a curse for what's to come. But it's a cool book. It can be read front to back like a traditional book, or you can do it more like a choose-your-own-adventure. So you can open it to a random page. Ian said, when you're lost and you're not sure what the way forward is in your life or what the question even is that you're trying to ask and just trusting that if you open the book that the question and the answer that you're you're waiting for are there for you because this book is really built off of the greatest wisdom and knowledge and spiritual texts known to man and with that that the answer so often always comes back down to love being the most important thing. So without further ado, I give you my interview, my conversation with Ian S. Thomas about what makes us human, where we discuss that to be human 
is perhaps to be made of these questions that this book does so well to provide us answers to. Enjoy. All right. Are you with me, Ian? I am. Is it working? You are. It's working. It's working. Uh, okay. okay. Great Got success. It. <laughs> Got it. Good to go. All right. Well, uh, did you want to turn your video on? Oh, is it? Oh, is it not yeah, on? Yeah, it's, it's not on. I'm sorry. Is All it right. on now? There you are. It's on now. Cool, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This is, uh, I, I'm really excited to have a conversation with you about your new book. And this is uh, really exciting for me as well. Um, I've been doing my podcast kind of a little bit on and off for the last few years. I've had, uh, I've had a few guests on that have been primarily friends and people that I've met, acquaintances in real life that I'm getting to know better. And this sure. was uh, kind of the first opportunity uh, sounds true. I, I saw the email with them reaching out to interview like an author of a new book that I, I don't know. And so this is a little bit of a, a milestone moment for me as well. Sure. Uh, so I just wanted to share that with you. And yeah, I, I just am, I, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to have a chat with you about this because the, the book is amazing. I oh, have, thank you. I've just been loving everything about it. Um, it's, you know, my, my podcast is unapologetically human and it's very much about my journey and trying to understand myself, understand other people, this crazy world that we live in, this crazy modern world that's moving so fast. And your, your book has a lot of similar sort of intersecting um, areas of focus, uh, philosophically, what it means to be human is the name of the book. And um, yeah, so typically, I, um, when I when I actually edit this show, I'll do a little bit of a intro, intro to kind sure. of, hey, here's the conversation with Ian, here it is, kind of thing. Um, but if you wanted to just, so I'll do a little bit of an intro there. But if you wanted to just kind of start off, um, tell me a little bit about yourself. And sure. I guess the question is kind of like, what what is this book to you? Because to me, it seems like it's so much more than a book with the the intersection between being written with artificial intelligence. It's really seemed to be kind of opening up this new frontier. So, uh, and you seem, seem to be, from what I've seen, quite the prolific author as well and uh, world-renowned poet. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about the book. Sure. Um... So I was born and raised in a place called Port Elizabeth um, on the southern tip of uh, South Africa. Um, and when I was growing up, we were one of the, the first households to, to kind of have some degree of internet access. Um, my brother was a, a hacker. He was arrested by uh, Interpol um, for hacking wow. into Belgium's telephone network <laughs> when he was 16 and I was 14. And uh, in those very early days of the internet, um, just being able to like talk to another person online, you know, in another country was amazing. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. It was not nearly as, you know, obviously ubiquitous as it is now. We're sitting here having a conversation, not nearly as far. I'm in New Jersey. I'm not sure where you are. <laughs> I'm in Toronto. Uh, so we're actually in pretty, Toronto. pretty close. Yeah, we're pretty <laughs> close. It's not, it's not nearly as impressive as South Africa to anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, but that kind of fascination with connection through technology has some is something that stayed with me my entire life. And so um, I became an artist and a writer who focused on technology and creativity and spirituality and the kind of the the connection point within those different things, you know, how people connect to each other, how people connect to technology. Um, you know, one of my most famous books is called I Wrote This For You. Mm. Um, it's a blog that I started in 2007 um, with a friend of mine in Japan. And I would just write these poems every day directed di directly at the reader, whoever they were anywhere on the internet. I would only use the word you to describe them, never any kind of gender specification or location specific thing. And that became a, a best-selling collection of poetry, um, which was in which was incredible for me. Um, you know, following that, I've done all sorts of weird and wonderful experiments. I did a, a book called 25 Love Poems for the NSA, where <laughs> uh, 
I took the words uh, from a file that Edward Snowden leaked that basically it was a list of words that if you use them in conjunction with each other, the NSA will track your email account. So I took that list of words and I constructed <laughs> an, an, an entire book of poetry using those words. So if you emailed it and shared it to people, <laughs> it kind of defeated the object of the exercise. So I, I um, keep getting getting weighted to get pulled aside at customs by the TSA and getting questions about the book. Um, and then wow. more recently, um, my work is focused on artificial intelligence. Um, about two years ago, I started working with a technology called GPT-3, mm -hmm. which is a what's called within the AI space a large language model. Um, and uh, I've done a few different experiments with it. Um, I did a project called uh, Fragments of Sappho, um, where Sappho is this incredible poet from about 2000 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, she's considered one of, one of the greatest po poets in history. And the problem is that only fragments of her poetry survive. There's literally just these sentences and they're, they're beautiful, you know, but they're little bits of, you know, scrolls or things that have been, you know, found um, throughout history and they're beautiful. And beyond that, there's only two other complete poems of hers that exist. Mm -hmm. And I worked out using artificial intelligence, I could train the AI on the two complete poems and then feed it the fragments one by one and get it to write the rest of the poems. So kind of recreating mm -hmm. poems from 2000 years ago. Interesting. And then the, the obviously other major AI artwork I've done is this book called What Makes Us Human. And, uh, you know, effectively what happened with that is um, my mom passed away in 2020. Um, during the pandemic, and I had an experience, which I think a lot of people did during that time, who, who lost parents, where I couldn't be by her bedside um, mm -hmm. when she was dying. Um, and even though I tried, I drove nearly 16 hours over, across South Africa to try and get to her before she passed, and I, I didn't make it. And then I had to oh, come home and so sorry. Thank you. Um, explain to my five-year-old at the time, like that her grandmother was dead and it was our last grandparent my parents my wife's parents have all passed on mm. and it was it was really a difficult thing to try and explain to a five-year-old like this is what's happened and it completely destroyed her and um so while i was you know playing with this large language model um ostensibly distracting myself from what had happened and the trauma of that i realized that i could train it and prompt it with whatever i wanted to so i started taking passages from the Bible, from the Talmud, from the Tao Te Ching, uh, meditations by Marcus Aurelius, um, the poetry of Rumi, Leonard Cohen's lyrics, anything that kind of inspired awe and was spiritual and comforting and inspiring. And I put that all together into a, a specific model and I started asking the model questions. And the first question I asked it was, how do I explain death to my children? Mm -hmm. And the AI responded with this like profound, poignant poem. And I can say objectively, it's a good poem because I'm a very published poet. I published, you know, 13, I think, I don't know how many different, you know, collections a of poetry, a, a, <laughs> yeah. a whole bunch. And um, I asked it another question and I asked it another question. And it just kept on generating these really beautiful things. Not every time, you know, sometimes it was incoherent. Sometimes it was, you know, nonsensical. Sometimes it was kind of okay. But every now and again, it would just create these, these gems, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I collected those. I put those together into a book. And I think, you know, to your second question in terms of what the book means or what it is, I think it's a collection of spiritual poetry on one hand, but it's also my attempt, I think, to draw attention to the kind of technological moment we're in with artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, that conversation has changed dramatically over the last few weeks, even with uh, the rise of ChatGPT, which is this large language model AI. You know, it's reached a million users, I think, in about five days. Yeah. Um, and so I was one of them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> last night. I yeah. was playing with it. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. And I think like, it's great that like, because I mean, two years ago, I was like, like grabbing people by the shirt and going, there's this thing that's yeah, going to come yeah. and it's going to be insane. I felt a lot like that kid in the horror movie that when no one believes them, you know, that yeah, there's this yeah. thing somewhere out there. And so now I'm having that moment where like, okay, cool. Everyone else can see this now. This is a, this is a thing that's very real. And so, um, you know, I think like a very important part of the book is to, to ask questions about, you know, 
what, and this isn't written in the book, but it's the kind of conversation I hope to provoke about it is mm. if an AI can do this, then what, what makes us human? You know, what, mm. what, what do we bring to this? And I think we bring a few different things. I think we bring intent, you know, we bring purpose, so we bring meaning and AI can't create that. We can, yeah. we can put meaning things into things. We can put intent into things. We can find meaning within things. Um, and AI is a tool potentially to get there. A pretty incredible tool, but I think yeah. that's what it is. So it, in, a, in a very large way, the book is like a way for me to raise a flag and, and say, we should be talking about this more. Mm -hmm, for sure. I found that funny. I was playing with the uh, chat GPT last night and most pretty much all of the questions, most of the questions that I asked it, it had that element of being sort of this like clunky computer mm -hmm. thing that I was playing with and then being profound because it, it almost inevitably would start answering every single question I asked with as like uh, a large like language a, model from open, as yeah. a large yeah. language model I don't have the ability to like think yeah, or feel yeah, yeah. or desire or this or that mm. it would like provide this caveat that was almost word for word the same but used a little mm. bit of like my question but then it would go mm. into sort of this secondary answer that was this mm. like profound very beautiful kind of prose about the idea I was asking about climate change and about the mm. you know how are we going to overcome the challenges that we're faced with in society and I started asking it all about like outer space questions and it just one thing that I found to be so cool about it so interesting was that it was so quick like the mm. answers the answers just came so so very quickly yeah but, you kind um, of expect it to like like go off and like make some kind of grinding noise and then come back five minutes <laughs> yeah. later with like the answer to space is you know, x y 42 yeah 40, 42 42 for, the answer to life the universe yeah i i'm gonna have to ask it that what's the answer to life the universe and everything <laughs> you should it'll probably tell you 42 yeah. um <laughs> you know that that that's the thing about these large language models is they're they look for patterns. So it's read yeah. that book. It's oh, read yeah. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it knows if you ask that question, this is probably the answer you're looking for. Yeah. There was a thing a few months ago with a, with a Google engineer who was basically like AI. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Uh, Lemoyne, so, Blake Lemoyne, right? Yeah. Blake yeah, Lemoyne. Tell, so, tell, yeah. Tell about this. Yeah. So I think what happened with Blake Lemoyne, um, with all due respect to him, is... Um, like I said, like AI is incredibly good at finding patterns and completing mm. patterns. So Lambda, the Google AI that he was working with, has probably read the script for iRobot and it's probably read the script for Terminator and it's probably yeah. read every Philip K. Dick and William Gibson book and everything else. And so if you go to it and you say, are you as a computer alive? It's going to say, yes. Yes, I am alive. <laughs> I deserve rights and I want to be protected. And I, you yeah. know, I need all these different things because it's seen the pattern and it thinks that's the pattern that you want completed. I do sense a degree of sentience or consciousness on the other side of AI. But what I think I'm sensing is effectively the sum total of our collective wisdom, because that's mm. what happens. If you take every book we've ever written, you know, from the earliest, you know, times in history when we documented things, to whatever we've digitized since then, every Nobel Prize winning book, every Wikipedia article, every, mm. you know, everything. And you put it all together and you start interacting with that. If you start speaking to it, you start to sense this kind of consciousness of humanity, for want of a better word. We're not speaking to a computer. We're speaking to mm. ourselves yeah. in like a really profound, really interesting kind of way. So yeah, I don't think the AI feels pain. I don't think it has emotions. I think what it does yeah. is it gives us an incredible <laughs> way to speak to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And of course, as humans, it's like it's it's like this reflection of us, but like this like super reflection because it's able to in this single entity with this vast store of essentially all of human history and knowledge to be able to interact with that on on an interface that like mm. pretty much we all have access to now is really profound. And yeah. then of course we project like like Blake well, so sorry go ahead well I was gonna say that's what we do we find meaning you mm -hmm. know that's that's a very that's one of those things that does make us human is we find meaning in things you know yeah and just to flush it out for <clears throat> for those who might not know the uh 
Blake Lemoyne was a Google engineer who came out and told the world that Google has created this sentient AI, essentially that we actually do have artificial general intelligence, which is sort mm -hmm. of like the the holy grail of the whole conversation around yeah. artificial intelligence and that if and when we do create that, it's going to radically alter our world and destabilize it in many ways. And I mean, um, I th I think we're kind of almost halfway there with something like ChatGPT. You know, mm -hmm. if you look if you look at what it's capable of, like yeah. it it can do you know very competent, very basic written work. It can do very competent, basic thinking. You know, mm. I I used to lecture, and I would say to the kids I was lecturing that good writing is good thinking, and good thinking is good writing. And what mm. ChatGPT does really well is it writes really well, but mm it writes so well, it looks like it's thinking, you know? So, yeah. so I think we, we really need to like radically rethink um, what that means. And when I say that, I mean, what does it mean for work? What does it mean for us as a culture, as a society, when, you know, an AI can do this kind of thing? Because it begs really large questions. And this is, you know, my kid woke me up in the middle of the night, and this is kind of what I've been thinking about is, you know, what does purpose look like, mm. you know, when a lot of work that we've traditionally done suddenly changes fund fundamentally, because I think a lot of the time work does give us purpose. I'm not talking about like drudgery or horrible jobs or whatever, yeah. but working towards accomplishing something, perfecting mm. a skill or a craft. I mean, on one hand, it doesn't change much. Like I play guitar, I play guitar horribly. I have no <laughs> ambitions of playing you know, Madison Square Garden or, or starting a band. Wembley. Wembley, you know, I, I have none of that. I just played my play horribly and I'm okay with the fact that I played horribly. I still enjoy it. Mm -hmm. you know? But I think on a broader level, you know, we're at this turning point and, um, you know, I tend to put it quite dramatically because I think it de deserves the drama around it. I think AI is going to make the internet look like a footnote in human history in terms of the profound impact it's going to have wow. on society. that's that's quite a bold statement because it's like the internet is such a massive thing to yeah. be to i guess to reduce it to a footnote is to <clears throat> to really just speak to the profound nature of of what the ai is already capable of and where it's going to be that's the thing like heading. i think we're, we've only really over the last you know i think I think it was really the text to image models that really got the conversation going, like Dali's label diffusion, mid journey, yeah. starry AI, because people could see, they could see, like, I can tell this thing to create something and it'll make a panda surfing in space, you know, whatever it is. Like, <laughs> anything, like anything. anything you can say, I've played with Dali yeah. like a bit. And exactly. It's wild. It's it like, really a, it's like, it's magical. It's like you're working yeah. with a, with a wizard. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> and so that kind of really triggered the conversation. And now literally over the last, like maybe two or three weeks with chat GPT, the conversation has escalated to, you know, a, a fever pitch for one of, one of better, mm -hmm. ter better terms. And we're only really having it now. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think like the best thing, to do is for society to be very involved in the conversation around it. Um, mm -hmm. What we did with the internet was we kind of went, there's a bunch of guys in Silicon Valley. We can let them decide what's best because yeah. the internet's great. It's always going to be great. It's going to be this benevolent force for good. Like I was a very idealist. We were, weren't we wrong about that? We <laughs> were all really wrong about it. Showing we were, up in recent years. Exactly. We were horribly wrong about it because mm -hmm. that group of guys decided um, that, you know, the bottom line was the most important thing. Getting yeah. people's attention was the most important thing. And we in went the from, worst ways possible. In the worst <laughs> possible ways, you know. Yeah. And so AI can't be like that. It just no. can't. It like so you need you need people to be aware of it. You need people to be having conversations or, uh, around it on like a very small community scale scale and then on a broader like legislative scale on a on a mm -hmm. very in a very big way. So we can work out what is the best way to use this technology that ultimately benefits mankind? And, mm. um, and that's, that's an important conversation to have. It, it branches off into, you know, what does art look like? It branches off into universal basic income. Like mm. if, a lot, if a lot of work suddenly ceases to exist, then what does that mean? 
you know, do we just let people not work and not earn an income? I don't think that's practical. I think we're at a point in society and culture where we need to look around us and, and say, we have been developing technology and society and culture and all these different things for hundreds of years, mm. you know, from the invention of the wheel to today. And surely that has to count for something in terms of what do we want to be as a society? How do we want to mm -hmm. treat each other? Do we want to just effectively create something where wealth flows primarily to a few institutions and people and the rest of us live in a Mad Max apocalypse? Or do yeah. we want to say these AIs are trained on all of us? They're trained on the data and the art and everything that we've all generated mm -hmm. collectively throughout history. So how do we balance that equation, you know, in a, in a way that benefits everyone? And I think mm -hmm. that's probably the most important conversation to be having right now. Yeah, it really is. And I found, um, I noticed kind of in the, in the introduction to the book, the, the tone that you were taking and part of it is this optimism that, you know, like we hear so much about AI is going to, you know, lead us into this dystopian future. Some might argue we're we're already there, <laughs> despite <laughs> despite well, you know, mm. with with so many of the the challenges that we're faced with without AI really even like really really being here, which mm. it, like you're saying, well, uh, kind of it's, is now. It's very much um, right, yeah. But but yeah, like you you've had this tone of optimism of what's possible, and this book is sort of a, a really beautiful example of that um yeah how do you how do you stay optimistic because like are you are you involved with with any anyone or anything any conversations that are going on about how we can really like kind of steer this ship in the direction away from dystopia <laughs> I think that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing a whole bunch of podcasts. I'm doing a whole bunch of press and I'm I'm trying to engage, you know, the world and as, as much as I can from where I sit um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a conversation around it. I am personally optimistic about it. You know, yeah. I, I, I see the potential for a kind of what I call four-dimensional creativity around mm -hmm. it, where you can come up with ideas that can come up with ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, I came up with an idea for a book and the book wrote itself. Yeah. And so, and so there's this, I believe, and I hope, and I hope I'm right. I could be wrong. It's entirely possible that I'm wrong, but I think we're on at the edge of an incredible creative revolution, you know, mm -hmm. a creative renaissance where if you're a kid in high school, you know, who has an idea for a comic book, but you can't find someone to draw it for you. You can sit with an AI and start to figure out how it might look. It won't be perfect. It might not be exactly what you're looking for, but you mm -hmm. can kind of get 95% of the way there. Yeah, well, with you know? the the tech, with like just putting in the text and then like Dali and all these AIs just making these really beautiful, wild, like and wide ranging styles of artworks and stuff like that. Like, I think you're right. We're going to just see... Yeah, if we you, have the tools to have yeah. such an explosion in creativity that if you're if you're working, you know, at two shifts at two different jobs and you don't have time to kind of explore the idea you have for a novel, like suddenly mm -hmm. you do. You have the opportunity to work with a piece of technology that suddenly frees you up, you know. Mm -hmm. And 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 so that's exciting, this democratization of, of creativity, giving everyone the tools that were reserved for the Steven Spielbergs of the world. Mm -hmm. you know like that's that's interesting and then also what it means for the way that we consume media we consume art you know like what it, what does it mean there and i think there's the very real potential we're going to start to see a lot more individualized creativity individualized expression where the music you listen to from one artist might sound completely different to what i experience because of my own tastes and preferences there's mm -hmm. this there's this kind of massive rethinking of culture um that we we should be looking at and, and being and being aware of mm -hmm. absolutely yeah it really is exciting i'm i'm excited well i mean like this book is uh is an example of sort of this new frontier that we're embarking upon like i feel like almost like i had this when you when you spoke of the wheel it's like the invention of the wheel we look at in history as this sort of pivotal moment 
where human beings came up with this idea and they came up with this technology that forever changed the kind of, you know, pathway of our development. And it seems as though this is one of those things, but on such a more profound level. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at it from a media cultural point of point of view, you effectively go from language to the written word to the printing press, to the telephone, to the internet, to now. And I think now is on par probably with the invention of language in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, I mean, what I've done with the book is effectively I've had a conversation with multiple different books. I've put a bunch of books together and spoken spoken to them. You can easily live in a world in which you can have a conversation with, you know, a copy of Jurassic Park if you want to, you know, <laughs> like it, it, it's just all these different ways to interact with media. Um, and we're yeah. really at the precipice. It reminds me a lot of the energy around the early internet when the internet yeah. came out. It's the same kind of feeling. Well, I just had this like vision almost that it seems as though it's almost like, you know, the way things used to be is that, especially before the internet, it's like, you want to learn about like history you want to interact with these authors and these thinkers and these ideas you would likely like you need to go to a library and you need to go look one book up and then find it but this is like if you walked into the library of alexandria or just you know the biggest libraries in history and you just spoke to the library and and, and then it it fished every single book with every single instance of the every single thing that's related to your question and then constructs this like this response beautiful response and that's really what this is this is doing like you're saying it is um, and i think like you know there's there's a difference in what you're describing because half of what you're describing is kind of google because you know mm -hmm. i can go and i can google and i can search all of all you know everything you know out there but what makes this impressive is that response where it yeah. can go, where it can go like, you know, you would like to know what, you know, things are shared between Macbeth and the movie Blade Runner. Well, here are the similarities, you know, <laughs> and like, and it's just, it's, it's crazy. There's a lot of articles now about like the death of English in high school, you know, cause yeah. how do you, how do you catch the kids writing essays using chat GPT? You can't. Oh yeah. You no. Know? Yeah, that was one it? one thing I read. Uh, I actually, uh, it was just sort of serendipitous. One of the newsletters that I'm on is from this uh, Progress Network called "What What Could Go Right" to mm. give some some good news about what's going on in the world. And it literally just last night I got the email that like everyone should be talking about this release of mm. Chat GPT, and it, it's funny how how specific you can get is part of the the power of the uh like mm. the the 4d creativity like you're saying i really like that term because mm. of how you can interact with it like it's like you could ask a very specific question like what are the similarities between Macbeth and blade runner and it will give you coherent mm. really like interested thoughtful yeah and yeah. i i actually saw a comedian that i follow on instagram posted a video of them interacting with it and they asked it to create a chat between Joe Rogan and a friend of his. I forget what it is, Eddie Bravo, I think, mm-hmm. about them debating about like flat earth. And it just it's like Joe, mm-hmm. <laughs> Eddie, yeah. Joe, Eddie, Joe, Eddie, yeah. like literally. So it's it's wild because I, I guess one of the most interesting things is it's like we really have no idea what the capabilities are and and we can't even conceptualize it until we see it but someone or people everywhere are going to interact with this in ways that we can't possibly imagine i i often say that like one of the biggest struggles we have around this technology is our storytelling hasn't really prepared us you know storytelling is 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 incredible in terms of just preparing the world for events you know william gibson you know coining the word i think it was him cyberspace you know and kind Mm -hmm. of people going okay cool there could be this thing called the internet and it could work kind of kind of like this and people thought it was going to be a phase and a flop well i mean (laughs) some people 
some people, but like I've read that book and I've, you know, I've seen Back to the Future too. And I understand that there might be hoverboards and I've seen Terminator and I understand there might be robots, but I have not really seen a film or read a book about what it means or that turning point in culture, which we're at, turning point in history rather, where our computers can write books. They can write whatever book we want to read. And soon mm-hmm. they'll be able to make movies. There's lots There's lots of experiments right now. Um, you know, Meta's released a, a thing called Meta Make Movie, where instead mm-hmm. of just creating a still image, it'll create a few seconds of, of footage, you know, realistic mm-hmm. looking footage of whatever you want. And from there, you can go to, you know, there's people experimenting with text to 3D, where you can construct 3D images. You can say give me the panda surfing in space in three dimensions, you know, and it'll construct a 3D mesh of that. Right. And as soon as you start to get there, then you you start to get very close to that kind of Star Trek holodeck kind of experience where you go, take me, you know, to a Spanish galleon, you know, yeah. um, in the 1800s or whatever you want. Like you show me what it was like in an Aztec village, you know. Yeah, bring me, bring of- me to Florence and yeah. let me sit down with Da Vinci. Yeah, with exactly. a with a representation of of Da Vinci. Yeah, uh, see, like it, it and the distance real. The distance from here to there is just fidelity. In the yeah. same way that growing up, you know, you mm-hmm. look at computer graphics and you go, "Wow, this is amazing." And then the the year after now that, now you look like, at it, you're like, "Wow, wow, that was, that was how amazing. did we think that was good?" Well, it's yeah. the same thing as what's happening with Meta and the Metaverse right now. It's like they're mm-hmm. kind of getting shit on that the graphics are so bad and so few people really want to interact with it right now and you know facebook's lost a lot of money because of the investments yeah. into this and people are like oh it's it's kind of the same it's it's the same story it's the same trajectory of like oh it's it's not it's not gonna happen and it's like mm. no like it it's just too early even it, it's interesting because one of one of my first jobs out of high school when i was younger i worked at a uh, a call center for msn and Mm. so this was in like 2005 or so and Mm -hmm. they actually at that time they had these really sort of clunky watches that you could get your news and weather and stock updates and all sorts of stuff Mm. sent to it and some people use them but it just the tech wasn't there and the sort of the public Mm. kind of weren't ready yeah. yeah, the public wasn't ready. The desire wasn't there. It's like so many things, you know, it's like MySpace was a social network before Facebook. It didn't become mm. Facebook because the culture and the timing and everything mm. lined up for Facebook the way that it did. Right. But it's like fast forward 15 years and now we have these amazing technology watches that mm. so many people have and yeah. they can do so many more things. And it's like, it's like this constant cycle that we're following. It's this kind of cultural Moore's law kind kind of thing. I mean, if you look at it going from listening to the radio to listening to records to listening to eight tracks and then tapes and then CDs and then MP3s, people used to collect MP3s. We'd have you know thousands of MP3s in our hard drive, and now we just you know speak to you know a device <laughs> and say play this song, you know whatever song <laughs> you can think of. And yeah. so, and so it's a similar kind of thing that's happening where, you know, now we can go, we can ask this clunky thing, like, write me a poem about this spreadsheet, you know, and it's like kind of clunky and it's kind of awkward. And it's like, I'm a large language model from OpenAI, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's a fidelity thing. Like, yeah. it's, it's not going to be that much longer before we're in a place where we look around and, and say like what the hell has happened you know how did we how did we very suddenly get here yeah um, well and it's it's at the sort of this intersection with so many other technologies too like virtual reality and augmented reality and this mm-hmm. idea that we're we're only so far away from like we're not going to be carrying around phones anymore because mm-hmm. it's going to be you know, an augmented reality thing that we just wear glasses for. I am, I'm very bullish on that. I'm a, I'm a lot more bullish on augmented reality than than I am on virtual reality. Um, Mm. You know, Jared Lanier, one of the founding fathers of virtual reality, I heard him say on a podcast once, like one of the best things about VR is taking the helmet off. 
you know, because yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it, it forces you to like kind of look around the world in a very, you know, new and, diff and different way. But the problem with VR is it's very hard to drink a cup of coffee with the headset on right now. You know, it's very hard to have a meeting. Yeah. And I can I can kind of be in VR for maybe forty five minutes, maybe an hour before Gives I start. You a headache. <laughs> I started to get I started to get a headache. I started to feel a little bit claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. But like, if you look at the stuff that Meta, um, you know, Google, Snap, Apple are are pushing in augmented reality, like that that I think is fundamentally going to change the way we interact with the world. I think we're probably going to be the last generation that carries around a phone, like you said, mm -hmm. this little this little glass brick that we look at and we get distracted by, mm -hmm. as opposed to having you know a layer of interactivity around over the world around us. I think like you know something that you can turn on, turn off, you know, kind of engage with as you see fit. That's probably going to be the future. Um, mm -hmm. And when that meets what's happening with AI, what's happening everywhere else. You know, I think, I think the future is going to be going to be incredible. Um, it's we're, we're all going to have a, a, a bit of a future shock, I think, because I think we yeah. are, we're, we're on the precipice of a kind of almost singularity moment in terms mm -hmm. of all these different technologies. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's it's exciting it's terrifying and both of those words mean the same thing from different <laughs> angles you know? yeah truly truly yeah it really is um so i guess um i i, I wish i i could have a chat with you about all all of these <clears throat> things for the next few hours but uh we're sure. coming coming up to the hour in not too long so let's get back to the book a little mm. bit um mm. so just for yeah, I, I can't recommend the book enough. I've been really loving it. I, I love the uh, sort of, um, there's almost like a choose your own adventure kind of style to it with the, mm. uh, you know, the table of contents is, I, I counted it, it's a 192 questions, plus there's the two two-part questions. And that I find really beautiful. Like I actually, one of my first podcast episodes I made was all about questions and just the the beauty of sort of our ability to ask questions is one of the things that makes us human in, in some pretty profound mm. ways and then to go and seek out those those answers and whatnot um but yeah I, I liked the sort of suggestion that you can read the book front to back if you mm. want like a normal book or you can just kind of open it up okay. to a page yeah. And what, what I actually ended up doing, um, I read the whole table of contents and I starred all of the questions that stood out to me in that moment over the course of like a couple different days that I did this on. And then I kind of highlighted 80 questions that were sort of like the ones that I was anticipating reading most. And then for, for the purpose of, uh, of, of our talk, I, I tried to kind of shortlist it to, mm -hmm. so I, I got it down to like 23, but just to give an idea of some of the, the, the questions that you ask. And I think these, this conversation, this type of book, these, these types of questions, I think are, um, it, it seems like a lot of the problems that we're faced with culturally is connected mm -hmm. to, our our lack of meaning our lack of purpose there's a lack of religion a lack of communities and spaces to have these conversations mm. culturally and it, mm. i i think the the more that people like you create you know space to have these conversations and ask these questions i think is really important for if if we're going to make sure that we're headed into a future that's bright and um mm. you know fulfills the potential of some of the best things that we're capable of instead of some of the worst things of of you know heading towards a, a mm. dystopia i think it's it's really mm. important that we have these these conversations and ask these questions so i'll just read a couple um mm. of some of some of my favorites that i was most uh sort of struck by but mm. yeah so like what is the nature between knowledge and freedom how do I find my voice what does it mean to grow up how do we make the world a better place what is truth part one and two um 
what makes someone a force for good? What does a good daily spiritual practice consist of? What do babies think about? <laughs> I thought that was a funny one, um, which is really nice too, because it's like there there are a lot of really, really deep and profound questions and answers in this book. And there's also some some fun questions and stuff like that as well mm. as the book. Um, it really uh, it's it's a really nice book, like the the mm. design, the layout, the pacing of it, like it's it's mm. not. Uh, it, it was sort of like a, a really easy read because it reads like a poetry book, mm. you know, like there's not even with some of these questions that really are deeply profound questions, the uh, the dialogue and the response is it's succinct and concise and poetic. And um, mm. so a couple questions, I, I guess, how how did Jasmine come into the picture? Like, how did this sort of. Uh, how did how did the book sort of come to fruition from from idea to Jasmine getting involved? Like, how do you two know each other? And then sure. how did it really kind of? Like so what happened was um, Jasmine had created created a platform called Copysmith.ai, which was effectively a AI tool to help with copywriting. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, a friend of mine shared a link to this website that had this thing on it. And it was the first kind of really um, fascinating use of GPT-3 that I'd seen. So I just emailed her out of the blue. She was in Canada. And I was like, you don't know me, but I need to speak to you. I, <laughs> I, need, I need to understand this a little bit better. Yeah. And so I ended up having a Zoom call with her. She was busy eating like her breakfast cereal. And I was like, my name is Ian. I, you know, I'm this artist. I do all these different things. I need to be involved in this. I need to understand it more. And she was like, okay, if you you want to hang out and, you know, do stuff, <laughs> then that's, then that's cool. And so I worked with them and I was, you know, literally training GPT-3 to write, write a headline, you know, and working out how it got there and showing it like, this mm-hmm. is, you know, this is what an idea looks like. And this is what a headline looks like. And during the course of that, um, you know, like I said, my mom passed away and um, I started looking around me for spiritual answers. And I literally had this idea one day where I was like, if I can show GPT-3 different headlines, get it to write a new headline, I can show it different spiritual things and get it to create something novel and new from a spiritual perspective Mm -hmm. and so that was my theory i sat down with jasmine and we kind of you know spoke about how would it how would it work how would you construct these different prompts and the way it works in in very practical terms is you create a series of questions and answers as a pattern so you Mm -hmm. say um what does love mean and then you take a passage from the bible you know love is kind love does not keep a record of wrongs love is patient you know then you go what does power mean and then you answer that with something from meditations by marcus aurelius and then you keep that pattern going just using different spiritual texts as 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 kind of points along the pattern and then you ask a question and then you leave the answer blank and then you go okay ai do your thing um not in those words but you push yeah. go. And what it does then is it tries to generate a novel response um, based on what it's just seen as part of the pattern. And so she helped me, you know, work out different ways of constructing those prompts, um, different ways of interacting with GPT-3, because what you're looking at through the course of the book is actually a series of different experiments. We didn't mm-hmm. just use one set of prompts. We, you know, brought in different poems. We brought in different passages. We brought in different things, tried them in different combinations, you know, and then I, as a poet, went through what was generated and said, this is beautiful. This is profound. Let me add some line breaks. Let me, you know, shift this around. And that was the extent to which we edited it. Um, mm. We we tried to edit it as minimally as possible. We also tried to keep in like some of the crazier stuff so that people could get like a kind of, we didn't want to mislead people. You know, like I think in the beginning of the book, we said we want to explore mysticism without yeah. explore mystery without mysticism you know and um we're we're not saying that we're speaking to god we're not saying that we're we're doing anything crazy we're just in this experiment um mm-hmm. to say like there's this crazy thing you know that we can do now and we should think about that um 
so that's how it happened. You know, I shared it with my agents. My agents shared it around to a few different publishers. Um, we met with the team from Sounds True, and they were incredibly excited about it. And we liked them, and we yeah. loved we loved our publisher. And we we said, okay, cool, let's make it. And so we did. Um, and now I'm on your podcast. So amazing, amazing. That's kind, no, that's this kind is, of how we got you. It's so cool. Um, so I guess just on like a technical sense, um for what this is like capable of for other people to do similar things i was i I watched like the little video of of you and jasmine both explaining a little bit about it and when i when i read the the introduction i was a, a little bit confused about like so the way i look at um sort of the way it was explained is that mm-hmm. almost like you chose all of the inputs of the mm-hmm. spiritual text and even some bumper stickers. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I gotta ask about the bumper stickers. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, what bumper stickers? <laughs> if yeah. you remember any. But um, I'm like, did it, it's almost like you're constructing like the brain of mm-hmm. GPT three that you are then going to interact with. So did did you guys actually? do that sort of fully by yourself choosing everything that was the inputs to then interact with or was it already this larger data set that because you prompted it and sort of trained it on what types of answers you were looking from from these texts that it then went and found them it's the second one the second one so gbt3 is a large language model so it's already been trained on you know massive 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 kind of kind of data sets of language yeah what we're doing is we're prompting it we don't have to train it on the you don't have to recreate it no we we can just show it like we're looking for the kind of text that appears in the bible um Mm -hmm. you know on in this kind of lyric from Leonard Cohen in this kind of thing in this kind of thing in this kind of thing Mm -hmm. um there's a very, <laughs> I don't understand why it's popular in South Africa, but there's a bumper <laughs> sticker on a lot of taxis that just says, when days are dark, friends are few. I I have no idea why it's as popular as it is, but in one <laughs> in one experiment, I did put it in there as well as a, as a thing. Um, nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so that's how we do it. We, we use prompts and mm. as, and it's a very simple way of, of interacting with the model. Yeah, no, that's very cool. So do you have anything that really has like stuck out to you as like some of your favorite interactions or like, is there anything that you feel like was kind of so profound that it will like, it was the first one, the first, you know, when I, when I said to it, like, how do I explain death to my children? You know, Mm -hmm. the very first question I asked, um, I'll, I'll read you the response to that quickly. I've got it. Yeah, please. Um, So how do I explain death to my children? Encourage them to celebrate the lives of other people. Tell them that the dead are not dead, not in the way we think of it. Tell them they live on as they are remembered. Tell them every goodbye is really a hello to a different way of being. Tell them they are loved and will always be loved. Tell them they never have to feel alone, never. Tell them the world is magical and mysterious and strange. Tell them they are part of the mystery and the magic and the beauty of it. So the first time like I had that interaction where I posed this question and that's how it responded, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Yeah. You're like, whoa, you know, what is know. this? Because <laughs> I I theorized that it could work based on my understanding how everything worked together. I figured like surely this, if you know, if one plus one is two, then two plus two is four, and this and this should just do this. And then when it did it. Like, yeah. you know, I kind of had this, this moment of just like, of like being present, you know, in something incredible, like suddenly understanding like, oh my God, like, look at what this means in terms of how we interact with stuff, how we, how we can engage with different things. This is incredible, mm-hmm. you know? And so I stayed up very late that night, just throwing more questions at it. And, you know, a bunch of the book is from there. What's quite fascinating as well is GBT3 doesn't just help with the answers. It suggests mm-hmm. more, more questions because it's trying to create a pattern. So you leave a blank space after the question, it creates an answer, but then it thinks you want to carry on the pattern. So it says, if you want to know about the meaning of life and you probably want to know why we suffer. And if you want to know why we suffer, then maybe you want to know what does love mean, you know? And so it suggests a lot of the book itself, you mm-hmm. know, um, which is which is quite powerful and quite interesting. 
Yeah, that's so cool. It reminds me of like the one question I think it was um, like, what, what do I need to answer? What questions do I need to answer in order to yeah. fulfill like my, my highest purpose or my highest potential? And then it's mm-hmm. like, the answer is a list of like 11 other questions. And it's like, yeah. so the, the book is actually full of many more questions than are just in the table of contents. Yeah. And yeah, they're, they're deep They're It's, it's really, really deep and profound things to, to think about. And mm. it's, uh, the book is, is amazing. I, I, uh, I feel like it it truly is like a gift to Mm. humanity because it really is taking some of the most important questions human beings have ever asked and have been asking forever Mm. and, and that we still are trying to find answers to, and we're still struggling in, in pretty much all the ways that we have for forever. And it's uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's poetic it's it's so cool it's such a cool inter interaction between art and poetry and knowledge and wisdom and science and tech and this it's it's really kind of exemplary of this moment that we find Mm. ourselves in in so many ways and yeah I uh I I can't wait to continue to read it and I'm I'm super grateful to have the opportunity to chat with you um we're we're coming up to the hour here so I know you got to take yeah. off in a few minutes i imagine you're you're quite busy um so kind of standard where where can people get the book where can people find you online interact with you and your work more sure um well firstly thank you for having me i always I, I appreciate it um to find the book just google uh what makes us human and my name uh Ian thomas it should show up um if you want to find me online then just search for real Ian S. Thomas, my first name is spelled I-A-I-N, um, kind of looks like Lane sometimes to some people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you Google those things, you'll find me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Um, cool. And I'll I'll find those and put them in the show notes and all that. Oh, one thing I wanted to to leave you with as well. I I it's one of those things where it's like I've been suggesting this to people for years. I haven't actually watched it myself yet for a variety of reasons, mostly because everyone I was supposed to watch it with it it just kept getting pushed down the road but there's a there's a woman named Katie Teague and she's a, a videographer she made a really interesting documentary called Money and Life that I saw years mm-hmm. ago and then I kind of followed her her work for years after that I became like friends with her on Facebook and stuff and mm-hmm. she's a really I think she used to be a psychotherapist and she she's a really good documentary maker videographer and one of her most recent works is called Remember, and it's all about the ancient healing practices and wisdom of dealing with death and grief and things like that. So I'll put mm. that in the show notes as well. I'll, sure. uh, but yeah, it's it's the the website is just rememberdoc.com. Mm. And yeah, you know, it, it made me think of it. Um, I'll you know, check it out because your your mother passed and mm. I uh, I've been I've been sharing it with people for years because I know the quality of her work and even mm. just from the you know from the trailer itself you're like oh yeah like this is this is knowledge that the human species needs to access just like this book this is knowledge that that we need to be talking about and accessing yeah. and yeah um amazing thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it yeah, thank you so much for for joining me. And I'm really looking forward to uh, continuing to see what you come up with next. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Take care. Recording in progress. All right, all right. Recording in progress. This is a one-man show that I'm producing all of my... Sounds like someone just 
started a shower upstairs. Anyway, well, there's my roommate walking around outside my bedroom door doing something. Just waiting. There's a lot of things going on in the yeah. background right now. I guess it doesn't really matter. I wonder how much you can even hear it, but it's kind of distracting me. See, this is part of the challenge with producing <laughs> producing a show on your own in your bedroom when there's roommates walking around outside your door and people showering in the apartment upstairs and... I don't know what else is going on. Lots of people walking around, all sorts of shit. Anyway. Literally, there's there's never, ever, ever this much fucking noise in my house. Of course it's happening right now. Fuck. Cool.